increasing regulation, market saturation, and rising interest rates. Still think short-term rentals make sense? You're not alone. Join industry experts Bill Faith and Kenny Bedwell as they discuss how you can invest while still staying ahead of the curve, identifying trends before they happen, or blowing them away outright with their insights. This is STRonomics. Are you looking to invest in short-term rentals in North Carolina or South Carolina? There's a lot of great markets there, but even more important the markets are that you find the right agent. And that's where my man, Tyler Kuhn comes into place. I personally used him for three purchases totaling over $3.5 million. And I would not look to anybody else. Just jump down into the show notes right here below the podcast, click on the link and book a free discovery call with Tyler to explore the opportunities in both North Carolina and South Carolina today. Welcome back to STRonomics. I'm Bill Faith. This is my man, Kenny Bedwell, right here. Today, we're going to be talking about why you absolutely need to be looking at data as you're evaluating markets and properties before you write that big check at closing. So, Kenny, I'm sure, much like myself, you get a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, um, or maybe you don't. We just see it on social media because actually people probably aren't reaching out to us. I do a little bit. But it's after the fact, right? And I'm sure you've had people that have bought properties. Hey, it doesn't look like I made the best decision. And, you know, everybody was investing there or the agent said it was a great buy, you know, and they didn't really do their own research. Mm-hmm. And the reason I decided I wanted to talk about this today is I literally just got done with a lunch uh, with somebody that is closing on Tuesday on a $900,000 property at Smith Lake. Uh, he lives here in my hometown. And you know what? He uh, he actually ran some numbers because he's listened to our podcast, which is pretty cool. He wasn't. He probably wouldn't have done it beforehand. Oh, if cool! Make a connection. So you, let's let's hear it from the data analyst first. Why do you need data, whether it's market or property? Yeah. So I mean, it, it's all about for me. I'll say this: it's all about mitigating risk. So. We want to sure when we use data and analytics, we're able to shrink and minimize the risk and the exposure that we take with our investment decision or our investment position. So, what I mean by that is when we have concrete evidence or information that backs what our belief, our theory is, because usually we start with an investment theory. I believe that this property will make X amount of dollars or have this amount of return or provide this amount of cash flow or whatever that is. That is a theory. <laughs> you know, I have like those special things like I'm using. Yeah, there we go. I don't know if I can call this that. But when you have, so we start out with that theory and then you make the decision based on, you know, if, if you don't use numbers, you make that decision based on a gut reaction. The problem with using a gut reaction is that most people in this industry who are getting in this industry are very new to it. So you don't have that, you don't have that knowledge to, to make that. And what you've done is increase the amount of risk that that is a poor investment. When we use numbers and data, we make up for that. So you can still have a gut reaction thinking this could be a great deal, but the data can back that up and actually mitigate the amount of risk you're taking on to have a bad investment. So um, I really like the data backs the theory. That's really what we're looking for is data to prove the theory that we've, we've stated that this property is going to make a certain amount of revenue. I purchased 26 properties over $700,000 in value. And 
my short-term rental career. The first one, I didn't use AirDNA. I didn't even know AirDNA existed. There was no SDR insights. Honestly, I got lucky on the first one. And it was that guy. Hey, this is the prettiest one. This is the the most well-designed. This is the one that's not cookie cutter. It's got the best view of the ocean. And we didn't know what we were doing and we got lucky. Right now, I would never buy a property. I would never buy any piece of real estate without running the data. And I think a lot of us learn too late, especially in today's climate. It's way more important than it was when I got started. Prices are still high. Even though they're starting to come down, there's, the valuations are still way higher than they were in 2019 or even the first half of 2020. Remember, it was the second half of 2020 going through 2021 until about March of 2022 when appreciation skyrocketed, right? And Kenny said it best, using data mitigates risk. Now, there's a lot more ways to use data than just going and using SDR Insights or MashVisor or whatever platform you're looking to leverage data. Now you have that, what do you do with it next? Kenny, and you and I see this from so-called experienced investors that they don't go to that. I mean, you look at John Hodge, right? John has is like the performa master, if you will. The the and this is the guy I refer to as the bank whisperer. And I'm gonna say with the two properties him and I are working on together, right? And we've ran no less than 20 to 25 different performas and scenarios. I'm not saying that everybody you know has to do that, but you should once you extract that data from your data analysis tool, that's kind of step number one, right, Kenny? Now, what do we do with that on the back end is step number two. And Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, I forbid you from buying a property of any kind, mobile home, apartment, condo, single family home, duplex, multifamily dwelling, piece of land, whatever it is, without running data. You get, you extrapolate the data from the data sourcing and put it into performance and make sure you're calculating everything. If you have a good performa, it'll do the work for you and you can completely mitigate your risk. I believe on every investment that probably the last 10 to 12 investments that I've made, I'm able to mitigate my risk down to less than like 5%. Now that is a gut feeling, but even with my expertise, on identifying markets, all the research that I've done, all the purchases I made, the value adds that I can add, I still run the data. Kenny, I assume you're running Performa's, right? Before you purchase, you, what, what, you, your New York property, shit, I forgot the name of the town that it's in. Watkins Glen. Yes, NASCAR. <laughs> Tell, so you're the data analyst, right? You're the city data analyst. You're the founder of STR Insights. Let's talk about what did you do when you bought that property? Just from a data perspective, obviously you used your own tool, but you're, you've been very open and transparent as I have, because I'm a big proponent of SDR Insights. I use that and other tools. And you said you use other tools too, right? But then what so, do you do with that data once you have it? Once I have it? Yeah. So I, I think that something you, you talked about, you touched on is running different scenarios is really, really important. I think you should really run three, at least three scenarios. So what, I mean, about, Kenny, what, what, what would cause you, like, what are those first three scenarios? Sure. So you want to run best case scenario, 
okay case scenario and worst case scenario. On what? Revenue? Yes, on revenue. Okay. Yeah. Revenue. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, some people do ADR. We've had we've had that conversation. Um, you know, you can do it on gross revenue. It doesn't that they're they're going in the same direction. So it doesn't matter. But you do need to have a lot of people do this with the percentiles. They'll say 50th, 75th, 90th. That that's a good way to do it without a lot of experience. You really should identify what percentiles your property does fall fall into and what it hit. But let's let's say let's keep it simple. Let's not get super complicated with it. And let's say that's a good methodology that we can all work with. So the idea is, you know, I think that this property that I'm looking at, based on the comps around it and everything, I think it falls within, you know, best case scenario, the 90th percentile. Now, it, it could vary market to market. You could see a property and be 75th percentile's best case scenario. And is that just based on average hosting, Kenny, or is that your hosting capability? That you're My hosting capabilities, the quality of the property, the location of the property, and the comparable properties around. Well, I guess we should uh, probably dive into that first is what really makes up a revenue number. So a revenue number is made up of the three things I just touched on, or well, I really four. So the location, so how close that property is to the traffic drivers of that particular market. I love that term, by the way, traffic drivers. Traffic drivers, right? And if there's multiple traffic drivers, that's great. But there obviously is a value of the location and never discount that value. The second thing is the quality of the property, which might include amenities or views or uh, the interior or the exterior of the home. There's a lot of things that go into quality that people need to. Kenny, that could be post renovation. It doesn't have to, you can buy golden girls today, but if you're going to yeah. put 50 grand into it, that's what you really need to look at. Right? Right. Exactly. Right. And then, um, so the quality of the property and something to keep in mind too, I really like, I think Bill, you were the one that said this is people. So whoever you're trying to target to go to that, that location, they want to stay in properties that are nicer than their own. Right. So I, that's, that's very important when understanding, can I charge that higher price? Um, even though, you know, cause if you do and your property's not great, you're going to get hit on reviews. So and that, that, Kenny, that can be design quality, but also amenity quality too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's also, you know, we've stated this several times in different podcast episodes, but the property A next to property B can perform completely differently based on the quality, the amenities, you know, like just even though they're next to each other, even though they might have the same floor plan, the same number of bathrooms, property A can make more money based on hosting capabilities, based on decor, design, the amenities offered. So that all goes into determining the revenue. And then finally, I, I forgot to really touch on this one, is obviously the comparable properties nearby. Right. How much are they actually making based on what you can do there? So those are the three big, uh, so location, uh, quality, and then comparable properties. So what about interest rate scenarios? I mean, for the last six to seven months, interest rates have gone up so quickly. And most people are probably still doing a 30 to 45 day close, which means if you've done that in the last six months, you definitively, if you're financing, unless you're doing a second home mortgage, if you're doing a commercial loan, if you're doing a DSER, you've probably been impacted uh, by interest rates going up. So I think that's one, th one data point that I see that a lot of people miss is they're not factoring, they run the three performers. That's good, better, best, right? 
Like for beginners, that's you can do 50%, 75%, 90%. For people like Kenny and I, we're probably doing 75%, 90%, and then the mastermind markup at like 120 or 125, right? Okay. So, but then the next level is really your interest rates. And especially now, as they came down a little bit for a week, right? Then Fed's, you know, gonna raise, they're gonna go back up there. They're gonna be so volatile. And if you're not locking in on a second home mortgage, you need to run multiple scenarios and interest rates. Even if you can lock in, what's the difference if you do a standard 30-year lock at one interest rate versus a 40-30? It's where you're doing a 40-year on a 30-year AM, right? Or looking at what happens if you buy down a point or a half a point to your cash flow. There's a lot of different financial components that you have to take into consideration as well. And I don't see anybody talking about that, Kenny. Do you? No. Are you looking at that now? No. It's popular to talk about, and what I like, and I frankly, I mainly talk about how to calculate gross revenue. But there, once you have that number and you're like, wow, this makes a lot of money. However, on the other side of it, what are your actual expenses going to be? What's that monthly principal pay down payment? Six and a quarter versus seven and a half is a huge delta. It, it is. It really does. It changes it. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day and they were showing me their uh, their performance, it was a, they had the interest rate was a 7.5%. And it was one loan, it was a commercial loan product or something they were doing, which is low now, apparently, uh, at that rate, and, uh, as of today. And it was a 20% cash on cash return. And I said, okay, well, what if you did a second home loan at like 5%, and it jumped up to like a 26% or 27% cash on cash return. So and it made the deal more attractive. You know, which obviously like you've got to not just calculate gross revenue, but take into account what type of loan product you're going to be using and that interest rate, because that's obviously going to impact your cash flow and the the end of the day, the cash on cash return. And those interest rates and the terms, meaning like a 20 year AM, a 25 year AM or a 30 year AM uh, are going to vary based on those different products, right? Right. So what, what I look at, I mean, I just had... Um, Courtney, you know, one of our mastermind members just called me before I went to my lunch meeting. She's like, I've got this amazing opportunity. And this is like utopia for all of us right now. The seller is interested in 100% owner finance. That's great. <laughs> and really probably like 80%. I think he still wants like 20% down. But a lot of times owners will do some type of carry back. And that's a whole, no, may not be 100%, may not be 80%. But what if you're buying a million dollar property and you're prepared to put 20% down and you're going to pay 9% right now. So you're <laughs> essentially going to amortize 800,000. But what if you could convince that owner to hold back 200,000 at like 5% or 6%? Those deals are happening all the time now for the advanced investor. That's literally common practice from the bank whisperer, right? That's the thing that I love about looking at creative financing, but you've got to budget for that. That's got to be in the performa. That's a data set that you have to calculate. You have to think about. You can't just go DSCR loan product. Love Chris Ludwich, love the lender, but we got to look at local community banks for standard commercial loans. I'm in a position, I've never done a second home mortgage, Kenny, on an investment property, but I'm in a position now with my DTI, my income, my cash, and I'm probably going to leverage that for my next single family home purchase so I can get a better interest rate in the 30-year AM. 
I've been buying commercial loans forever at 20, 20 year AMs, right? But now because interest rates are higher, I want to stretch that money. And, you know, if I can get, I mean, if I bought a place under a million bucks, you know, the first person I'm going to call for financing, Jeff Chisholm, can you get me a second home loan on a 10% down because I know I'm going to be a buy and hold and I can reposition later. One, that's going to increase my cash on cash versus the traditional 20. Two, now I'm going where I'm usually starting my performance, a 20-year amortization with a commercial loan. Now I'm expanding that to 30. So think about that. If I can save 10% cash, that's $100,000 on a million-dollar property. Going traditional route versus commercial, probably a point, maybe even a point and a half on financing at 800000 That could be easy 1000 bucks a month, right? All these things stack up. And so it's not just as Kenny's reiterating, gross revenue, expenses, PITI, we can impact that PITI by doing some creative financing. Now, the, the golden goose is if Courtney can get 80% seller financed at a lower rate on a 30-year AM, that's going to increase her cash flow and mitigate her risk. Yep. Are you looking to purchase an STR in the Western North Carolina mountains, the high country, maybe even on, on the beach of North Carolina and the OBX or all the way down into Hilton Head, South Carolina? My man, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty, has you covered. And one of the things that I love about Tyler is he specializes in short-term rentals. He takes a no BS approach, is honest, and is filled with integrity. How do I know this? Because I've used Tyler on three transactions totaling almost three and a half million dollars, and he has absolutely crushed it for me. Look, if you're not sure where you should invest, he's based out of Asheville, North Carolina. He helped me invest in Banner Elk, North Carolina, and Beach Mountain, North Carolina. He's not only just a real estate agent that specializes in short-term rentals, Tyler is also an owner of short-term rentals and owns a management company. So one of the biggest hurdles for us mentally is to get over, how do I find cleaners? How do I find handymen? How do I find a plumber? Well, you know what? Tyler's dialed in and he helps his clients navigate those issues. So if you're looking to invest pretty much anywhere in the Carolinas, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty is your man. And right now he's actually doing a free discovery call. You can click down on the link in the notes and set up your free discovery call with Tyler today. I think that we should briefly talk about or briefly touch on what you, so you went through kind of your strategy with that second home loan, what you're planning on potentially doing it. So you're not going to do it. You're potentially going to do it. In Montana, $25,000. i am literally writing it off. I've got my agent writing an offer right now. I'll probably get it while we're doing this at five fifty-five. I've already talked to the seller's agent before I engaged my buyer's agent out of Bozeman. And he believes they will accept that offer. So if that gets accepted, then literally the next text message is going to Jeff Chisholm. Yeah. So what you mentioned it, and I want to highlight it because it's important is the fact that you said buy and hold. So the reason why I think that's important is because some people are going to use a second home loan and put 10% down and have no equity in the property. And they're not thinking about buying and holding. They're thinking about, I want to make some quick cash. This thing is going to appreciate hopefully, and I'm going to sell and get out in, you know, 
we'll see. And an undisclosed amount of time, less than five years or five years. And the problem with that is, and once again, we're talking about mitigating risk using data. Uh, so the problem with that, that thought process is what happens if you don't make any money on that property? And your what's your exit strategy to sell? Like, but you can't sell because you have no equity in the property and it's going to be depreciating, you know, and you can't assume it's going to appreciate, especially right now in the current climate. So it's really dangerous. Um, I, I think it's not only like, let's get the data, let's run the numbers, you know, and, and, you know, get the gross revenue, understand the expenses and the loan product, but also knowing what am I doing with this property? Why am I buying this property? A lot of people it's just not, it's just not in the discussion, you know, with the Watkins Glen property I purchased, uh, I really have, you know, three, two to three different ideas of what I, what I want to do with it. So, you know, I did buy, it was at the beginning of this year, I did do a DSCR product with it and I have a, um, a three year, uh, prepayment penalty. So I have to hold on to that property for a minimum of three years before, excuse me, I had that prepayment penalty. Cost, Kenny, should be a data point in your evaluation. If I sold in year one, if I sold in year two, you, you and I both know someone that got caught with their pants down and literally sold within the first year because they didn't understand there was a five-year prepayment penalty on their first DSCR. Right. Super expensive. Yes. And knowing that I had to I had to have a minimum of X amount of dollars in my bank account set aside in case of, you know, rainy day COVID 2.0 strikes and we're out for six months to a year. And I'm slowly growing that to beyond six months. Right now it's in six months, but that's there. So I don't get caught with my pants down. And, and if I have to sell and exit, I can do it without, you know, like I, I have this rainy day fund to cover me until you know, beyond my, um, it's not just a savings for three years or anything, but you know, I can make some money and get on until I have to sell the property beyond prepayment penalty. But that's I, super important, Kenny, say that one more time. Which part? The, about, the savings? <laughs> about how you would not have to sell. Why would you not have to sell? Because you have the cash to support it behind it for your carry costs, right? Yeah, exactly. And I know that that property, uh, I mean, honestly, it covers itself month to month. Um, and well beyond that, but it could cover itself if, you know, long-term rental or whatever, it should hit the fan. But at the same time, like I it's need nothing for that property. So it's not going to negative cash flow. You right, right. It's never, yeah. It's and, and so knowing that I know, but my strategy is after three years, I am building up a solid rental history. My goal is to sell that property for gaining the massive appreciation on it. I don't know what three years is going to look like, to be frank. I hope it's going to be well. I hope people are going to be interested in it. I think they will be. I Once again, it's this theory and the data behind it. So the data behind it is the fact that it's in a strict rental area where you have to have a permit and they cap the number of permits. So essentially, I can sell my permit because it's in an LLC. I've already talked to an attorney. I've already worked all this out. I'm thinking that three years ahead. Okay. But if three years comes and no one's going to buy this property, even though I've got this great rental history and I can sell the permit and they can get in and make all this money, if, if no one is interested in it, I still have a cash flowing asset that I know that can continue to appreciate and do well. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. I've got the team in place. I've got the services. I, I like the house. I love where it's at. 
and I'm okay with holding on to it for a longer period of time. And so I've run through those scenarios, not only just on paper, but in my head too, with talking to my wife and saying, well, what if we can't sell this thing in three years and we move? We're talking about moving. Oh, that's not public knowledge, but we're talking about moving. Uh, I guess it is now. <laughs> we're talking about moving in uh, you know, a year and a half to two years. And we'll be away from, you know, we're not going to come up to New York that often. So is this an asset that we're, we're okay with holding on to? And, and that was, those decisions were made before we made the purchase and the decision to, to buy it. So anyway, I know we're talking about running data to analyze properties, but that, that part of it is just as important. So, <laughs> you know, you have a great real estate agent and I'm not going to say his name, but when you get boxed out of Taylor Swift tickets for your daughter's birthday and he's got himself and three of his employees trying to get her tickets right now while we're recording this, that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> what we're talking about. Yeah. There you go. Big shout out to my man, Tyler Kuhn. Thank you for not only sponsoring our uh, podcast here, but he's also helping one of his clients out try to get his daughter some, uh, some Taylor Swift tickets today because we couldn't do it yesterday. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great sponsor. So to, to kind of wrap up the data, you, I mean, once again, Mr. Wonderful Shark Tank, I forbid you from buying a property without running the data. But Kenny just got done talking about you really need to have a game plan for your exit strategy and you need to think how that's going to impact you. That's going to that ties back into how you're going to finance, ties into your personal capital uh, that you're investing into sustaining that property. If the shit does hit the fan, Kenny cussed before I did. Let's make a note of that in this podcast. Is. <laughs> All of these things are why data becomes so important. So extrapolate the data. Run your performance on gross revenue, expenses, all that type of stuff. Get a DSCR on that. Then look at your different financing options, your, your term lengths, as well as your interest rates. And think about how that's going to impact the different product, how that's going to implement cash down, right? So I am not traditionally a 10% down guy. I'm a 20 to 30% down guy. I want to have as much equity in my properties as I can. I want to pay my debt down. I'm much closer to Dave Ramsey. Uh, than I am to Robert Kiyosaki. And I kind of fall someplace in between. Uh, but I'm willing now for that cash flow because I do have the, the financial means behind it to back it up and float if I had to, to be able to free up my cash because right now is buying time, folks. I mean, if you really look at, if you believe in your plan that you can reposition from a seven to 9% interest rate down to a five or a six, three years, four years, five years down the road, and you can still cash flow to that runway to get to the end, then it's a good time to buy. But it is not a time to be reckless like a lot of you did that we're getting in, you know, during COVID when we have the gold rush going, uh, because the gold rush is over. There's no question. I think we did that episode, you know, in the beginning, the first five, right, Kenny? Yeah. But there's still money to be made if you're prudent with your finances and your data. And let me throw this in here. I, I almost want to change our title here to why you need to educate yourself to analyze properties <laughs> because it's not the date. Yes. The data is absolutely important and critical and crucial, but we need to educate ourselves. You know, we need to educate how to go after creative financing and look for those potential um, opportunities that are out there. It's, Finding that turnkey property and purchasing it like we did last year 
and knowing that's going to have the great returns we want to see that that is rare and like just just it's really difficult so i would encourage you guys to just in closing this all up is to educate yourself watch videos understand what owner financing even is i know there's a lot of people listening who are just like i have no idea what that is or how to even start that whole process and so get on youtube go get that youtube uh degree like most of us have and uh study it understand and see look at examples and case studies um and you'll figure it out and be able to start it's all about the communication um and the confidence to get going so that i'll just leave that as my uh closing thoughts is uh go get an education on this if you don't if, if what we're saying to you is you know oh that seems far away and unattainable you need to learn about it there's no other skill that you should learn outside of what we just talked about today i mean there I'm, let me rephrase that there's there are other skills but this is like the most important thing if you're buying properties this yeah. is where you have to start. You can worry about pricing optimization and listing optimization and all that BS later. Nail this because this is really where you make your money. It's on the front end and the back end. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode of STR Anomics. Thank you for listening to STR Anomics. Stay ahead of the curve and subscribe today. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.